Welcome to Real Indigenous, where these Indigenous people get real about what's on our screen and everything in between. With me, bringing their thoughts, feelings, and critical minds is... Holly Till, this is Tully. Maduwika, Sunrise. This is Matt Bars. And this week, we're going to talk about the rom-com that we've all been needing in the theme of a Christmas Hallmark movie, except it's not Hallmark, but it might as well be. It's known as Christmas in the Clouds. And Christmas in the Clouds was made in 2001. I watched it. I got to watch it on Freebie or Tubi or something like that. I thought it was super cute. There's some issues with it being 22 years old, but not a lot of people have heard about it. Sunrise, did you say that you met the director? Is she the writer-director? Writer-director Kate Montgomery came probably around that time, 2001, maybe 2002. She showed it on the campus of the University of Oklahoma, and it was just Kate. It wasn't like any of the actors were there. So she was there, and I think she had a conversation after the film. I wish I could have seen Graham Greene. Yeah. I wish I could have seen Shirley, uh, you know. Maybe Georgina Lightning was in the crowd, maybe, maybe. So now, did this go through Sundance? You're asking me? I, I don't know if this went through Sundance, but I know this played at the American Indian Film Festival. I'm, I'm seeing uh, release date, January 2001, Sundance. Oh, okay. But they shot the whole thing at the Sundance Resort in Utah. And it is a romantic comedy. And it is set around the holidays. And there is a Christmas miracle. And in addition to the mistaken identity of our two main love interests, there's all the zany characters that are kind of the hallmark of these kinds of films, including Graham Greene, which you mentioned. And he has a little role as a chef, but he's vegan. And so when he's walking around, this is really funny, when he's walking around the dining room and people are ordering the turkey or the bison or whatever, he's like, he stops and he goes, oh, that turkey was named Howard and he was my pet. (laughs) So he's trying to discourage people from eating meat, which is kind of funny. Yeah, you you remember much more than I do. I haven't seen this film since it it played in 2001. I'm along on on a ride of memory here. But what you're talking about is something that I remember. I remember his hat and there's sort of a quirkiness to his like demeanor. And he's like that large gesturing and not as present a character in the large scheme of the film from my memory. Right. And he like kind of appears every now and then. Yeah. Comedy relief kind of guy. Yes. Comic relief. Definitely. So there's a crusty old guy, right? Who's a pin pal with somebody who thinks is an older woman. But then we find out that the crusty old guy who's actually been writing to a young woman, but then there's like Emmett Walsh shows up and they think that he's going to be reviewing the resort for a travel magazine, but they think it's her instead of him and hilarity ensues. Right. Yeah. There's sort of a waiting for Guffman structure to that. Very much so. Yeah. Which, you know, was probably a little bit more prominent back in the day of the late 90s very pre texting pre internet pre cell phone now i will say that the the thing that i had the problem with was the casting so there's a little bit of red face going on with the main characters i don't think either one of them are native but i did see some cuspucks 
in some of the crowd scenes, which I thought was interesting, because it which totally made me look at where it was shot. It was shot in Utah. So I'm not quite sure why the Cusbucks were there. And I don't know, Matt, did you did they say what tribe they were in all of that? I don't uh, I don't recall I don't recall them. So who all were native on that movie? Sam Vlahos, who starts out the whole thing as the guy who's writing the letters. Uh Graham Green. Graham Green. Sheila There's a big one. Rita Coolidge, supposedly. Lois Red Elk, Shirley Tichu, Georgina Lightning. Somebody else. Casey Soto, Heather Ray. Heather Ray, uh, West Studi. Yeah. West Studi shows up mm-hmm. for a hot minute. Colin Bingo in a kilt. As himself. For real, as himself? <laughs> is that what it says? Yes, yes. That's there's, awesome. There's signs saying West Studi. It just comes, comes out of nowhere. They're like, and Colin Bingo. West Studi. And yes, he's wearing a kilt. It was, and he comes cruising down the middle of the aisle and he says a joke about his wife dressing him. So, of course, all the interest is all in all of the B characters. The leads are pretty vanilla, but I mean, that's pretty standard for this kind of stuff, I think, as a consumer of Hallmark holiday movies. I think this pretty much stuck to the formula. I thought it was cute. I mean, there's there's some red face going on. You know, we're everybody's familiar with some of the names that I listed off and some of the issues that have been brought up by some of them being in it. The leads identify as being of Mediterranean descendancy. Is the writer and director, is that person native? I don't believe so. I don't, I've never read anything about Kate Montgomery as the writer director having any affiliation I don't, and from my memory at the time, I don't believe that she made that declaration either way. My assumption is it's non-native in its origin and its um, in its guidance. I think the fact that it was, you know, premiering at Sundance probably had some aspect to the film casting and structure, maybe as part of the strategy. But I also don't believe that it went through the lab process like what we theorized earlier. I think it only went through the process of um, I'd be surprised. I'd be saying Sundance got a little bit more lenient in those early days, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it, it <laughs> sort of, it sort of did, yeah. <laughs> it sort of did. It's, it's, it's different now. Heather Ray was she has was she doing the Sundance? Was she working at Sundance at that time? Yeah, this probably would be the Heather Ray period. Yeah, so that might be the reason why it got in. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Heather Ray is well known in Indian country because of her association with producing prior to producing she was working at Sundance and kind of heading up maybe the programming or the selection or the relationship with indigenous filmmakers and um and then kind of preceded bird before she shifted into producing so this might be kind of in that period i don't remember when bird exactly came in but this this is 2001 so i don't believe that bird was at Sundance at that time and bird we mean bird running water. Did yes. you say bird we, running water? In case we bird running water. Oh, you grin. Yeah, I should just say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, not just bird. some random flying feathered animal. <laughs> but it also played at Austin, the Austin Film Festival, right? Which and makes sense. a lot of rounds. And Santa Fe Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it makes sense that it went to Austin because Austin is a festival that Austin often. Um, highlights writer slash directors and then the festival itself emphasizes writing yeah but just to get back just just confirming this fact that bird running water did 
arrive at the Sundance Institute in 2001. And he began as a programmer for the Native program in 2001. And this movie was released in 2001, is that correct? This was right. released in 2001. Okay, so it was at least a year or two before that they shot it. Oh, yeah, at least. Roger Ebert wrote a review, and he like he gave it three stars. Holy shit. Is this a three-star movie? My memory of it is that it's, like you said, at best, a lifetime movie. Like, And again, like you guys said, all the secondary characters were good. They were funny. Graham Greene was very funny. And so was Wes Studi. But the plot was pretty much, you know, those like uh, Christmas in, at the, in the mountains kind of storyline where they're about to lose their, whatever you call those, their lodge. Yeah, and, there's no snow at the ski resort. Okay. I, I do have a basic, because I saw it a long time ago too. And so I, I don't really re- remember much of it, but I have a basic memory of it because it does follow that formula, which if you like those type of movies, they're definitely fun to watch and to catch. But understanding that it is a very niche experience to watch these movies and depends on the mood. I have to be in a mood to watch these type of movies. And because I, I do like romance, romantic comedies, and I do like Christmas comedies like this. So, yeah. So you're making an allusion to the fact that it's kind of like a genre film, right? You keep talking about Lifetime. You bring up romance, which we usually think of as a genre. You're also thinking of bringing up holiday genre, Christmas. Right. Um, screwball, kind of a screwball comedy. And Angela says that she's very familiar with Lifetime, but for Hallmark. those people, who, Hallmark, can you, Hallmark. can you, you know, get into maybe a little bit of what those things are and how much this film really fits in, into that category? You said it sort of does. So yeah, where Hallmark does it sort of and where does it not? Are kind of known as the, the person that left the small town is now coming back to the small town or some big city muckamuck is being called in to do something at some backwater place and they come in and they're going to, you know, change all the things, but then they meet someone who's like their age and also extremely good looking, who's in it to fight the good fight, to keep the small town slash Christmas tree farms slash bakery, the heart of the community. And so eventually all of the quirkiness is able to they're able to stave off all of the gentrification and keep the heart the heart of the small community going. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add that it seems like related to like the characters, it feels like it all of this inspires characters of some sort of maybe non-personal or non-artistic level to uh, allow the artist to come out of them. You know, it's like somebody who works at a shop or like a card shop or something or a store. And really, all they want to do is make mugs, and so they're right. going to put, you know, they're going to put everything they they can into making mugs the way that they want to make mugs, and never mind what the the store is telling them. Right? It feels like those are kind of like the things that I see in the transformation of these characters, and it's always in relation to a, a love interest who may or may not be involved in that same company. Right? No, yeah, they're always at at odds with each other. So in this case, Ray clouds on fire has come back to his parents' little resort because he had moved to the big city and he was a big lawyer and his wife left him. So he came and he lost his job at the firm. So he comes back to this resort with his tail between his legs a little bit. And so he's really trying to move this resort forward in order that he can keep all of his relatives employed. 
So it's for community, you know, because they're all indigenous, they're all native. And, you know, there's some really cute scenes of singing native Christmas carols and the, the bingo hall scene I thought was super cute because I'm kids today don't, they're not going to remember, but remember having like 20 bingo cards out in front of you with the dauber and they were like running tests or trials to see if they could make sure that they would could cover all of their bingo cards when the calls were made. And you had to sit there with your dauber already and bam, 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 bam. And so there was, you know, some kind of throwback to the old ways, the old ways of bingo before, before everybody got a chance to build a casino. Oh, right. Yeah. This is all sort of like at the beginning of casinos, right? There's probably like Foxwoods maybe in 2001. Uh, and it's not like every tribe had a casino. So the fact that there's also like this resort struggling is not connected at all to like these other things we associate with income generating circumstances, at least in Oklahoma, where we have a casino, some sort of shop, like a smoke shop or um, some sort of, you know, like history slash shop where you buy paraphernalia or t-shirts or right. um, no restaurant. They haven't really... Uh, I mean, this is like early, early into uh, tourism for tribes. So Tina Littlehawk comes into town searching for her soulmate and she wants to be a teacher. You know, this is back to that whole, she wants to follow her dream and she's been suppressing it in order to whatever. But then, she, you know, she and our hero Ray connect, but he's afraid to really be with her because she's like this reviewer and it's this ethical dilemma, but they don't know that they're not even there for each other and hilarity ensues. Now you are describing kind of a structure that's a little generic, but within it, it seems like there's at least roles of characters that I am sensing from, and I don't remember this very well, but it feels like there are people who have authority characters with our indigenous backgrounds that wouldn't be given the same kind of authority in other movies. You know, so like being the lead chef, for example, or being like, I don't know, the, the woman. The desk clerk. Manages. So, yeah. 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 So Ray's assistant is native. And so she's like the, the auntie for everybody and kind of runs the ship. Right. And she's indigenous. She's got this hair woo, that won't stop. And these glasses. I was like, oh, girl, I haven't seen those glasses in a long time. <laughs> And, yeah, and like, the idea that the uh, the head chef is a vegetarian or a vegan is pretty funny, you know, because it kind of hits against like the stereotype of the hunter gatherer type of native person. And so I, I thought that was fun and interesting and a good approach. It at least in that era, you know, in the two thousands, you probably didn't think about it that way, you know. And then there's like the maintenance guy who's always slacking off, but whenever somebody comes around, he looks busy, right? He's kind Phil. of the running running joke. Phil, Phil the handyman. Yeah. He's a running gag through the whole thing. And then the bingo game, prepping for the bingo game and winning. A, wasn't it a Jeep Cherokee? I think so. Yeah. It was also kind of a running gag, which is also very formulaic with the B characters. I really liked the, there's some fantasy sequences that, are, that I wish they would have done more of where they kind of, it's, it's like a romance novel and then. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. There's there's a, there's two and they're really good and I, I wish they would have done done more with that. They do poke fun at the romance novel that the assistant's reading with the quote unquote savage yeah. Indian <laughs> with the long hair and the mm -hmm. it's pretty yeah, that's pretty funny. 
Yeah, as the building block of like funny moments in comedy of the, like you said, the second, I think Angela was saying of the secondary characters. I thought that was really good. And there were some smart and unique things that happened within those guys. But I think in my memory, I'm not even remembering the main characters, like what their issue was or what their romance was. But I do have the memory of pretty much all the characters you guys were talking about. So that's that's interesting if that happens. And I don't know if that's common. In, did you say that was common in those type of movies? It is. You know, the lead characters are usually always played by the same actors. So they're kind of vanilla and they're always the same. Whereas the quirky beelines are usually the ones that have the more specific for that area. You mean like the, the region? Are you talking about? Yeah, so if they're at a tree farm, then the quirky person has to deal with the errant squirrel. Or in this case, they're dealing with no snow or yeah, no power. Lodge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little more specific to the location. There does seem to be this scene where we go into a domestic space. So with like siblings, like these two female siblings and then their mother. I remember only now do I remember this because this all this is sparking my memory. But I remember thinking that was so modern to be able to go into somebody's home and it's not, you know, a stereotype of a teepee or a traditional home. It's a regular house environment and, you know, there's modern conveniences and they're just having a conversation as a family related to probably the business. And I felt like that was progressed, like quietly progressive in a way where we didn't see it at this time so much. And even when you compare it to something like Smoke Signals that had just come out in a few years earlier, Smoke Signals kind of does play into kind of like the, maybe the stereotypes of the lower class environment. But this was not that. This was like comfortable and it was like maybe middle class and it wasn't like people were struggling and it wasn't reintroducing or relying on these stereotypes of poverty in relation to indigenous people. Yeah. Um, there's no res porn or poverty porn. These were just middle-class people with mistaken identities that happen to be native. Yeah. And it does have some similar resonances just by the environment, maybe the, the location of the, um, this, the resort the design of the cast being like a, an ensemble. It, all of those things seem to be resonant with the two series that really kind of make maybe indigenous population a little bit more recognizable on TV, right? So we're talking like Twin Peaks, number one. And then what is the other one that I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Northern Exposure. Yeah, Northern Exposure, right? And it, I feel like this film kind of plays on the groundwork that the, both of those series have done with audiences who are familiar with indigenous actors or like characters. And um, we, we don't have many films that kind of like do that and take, you know, the next step. It seems like this was kind of doing that a little bit. Like the fact that Northern Exposure was obviously a comedy. There are moments in Twin Peaks that are a little bit co comedic um, and there are indigenous actors and in all of these films that all take place in these kinds of environments. It feels like this was kind of like guiding toward maybe a genre that didn't really take off beyond those two series. You know, the environments are very similar. Maybe even like the look of them, like yeah, the wardrobe and the wood. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that's interesting that this sort of like maybe is the tail end of all of that. So what, we're popular every 20 years, right? So yeah, that would have been that 20 year mark when post smoke signals and kind of... Right. Yeah. So here, 20 years later, you know, our new Christmas in the clouds would probably take place at a casino. It probably would take place in not a north uh, western 
um, environment or tribe that might take place in, I don't know, a southern tribe or probably northeast Mohegan, Mohegan Sun yeah. Resort. Right. Yeah, that would be great to see. I would actually yeah. love to see like a series in the early days of like gaming. That would be really interesting. And you know, like there's I mean, that a period... would be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some sort of elements of like gangster genre leaking in here, mm-hmm. right? Because we were dealing with like certain kind of Asian gangsters to like fund the beginning of the casino and like deal with the design work. And and then Disney comes in there a little bit in terms of like helping the design work out. And then all of the big politicians with all of the the different compacts and there's a lot of moving parts. I kind of, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be. And I'm sure there's a lot of interesting characters in there. Y'all still talking about that Christmas show? No, we've moved on to creating a new series <laughs> okay yeah we've moved you know, away uh, from talking about the movie because it's it's not all that there's not all that much in it for those who yeah. are unfamiliar at one time chris air was pitching a casino tv series and we kind of helped them in developing the script and that was kind of we didn't have the gangsters introduced but the the idea of like these quirky characters in it and the things that happen within these things within these stories that these people interact and it's about like the what do you call it the issues between traditional and the modern and the things that happen with that so he was actually trying to pitch that he should probably get back out and try to pitch it again it does sound interesting with the way you guys talked about it and I, I think we worked on a script with them on it yeah i bet today would be like it would have to be grittier you know for the sale of like these uh streaming services or like premium channel services like max or showtime probably wanted to be like competitive with like breaking bad or I'd even like to see it as a like a based on a real tribe, maybe even the the Eastern tribe who first did the casinos, because I'm sure there's like a lot of back things that happened and stuff like that, that you said of problems that came through. And then, you know, like when Chickasaw Nation, you know, started developing businesses in Ada, there was like a lot of backlashes on that. And people were really getting scared and getting nervous about the Chickasaws taking over that town, which they ended up kind of doing. But it helped yeah. the whole town when they did. It didn't just like destroy it like they thought it would. And and mm-hmm. that always happens too when they talk about the casinos. I mean, Donald Trump was one of the people who said they're just bringing in the mafia and they're bringing in all the gangsters and causing all kinds of problems. So wrong. it would be interesting. <laughs> okay, so we're going to say that that's your Christmas wish is that there's a series about the beginning of the casino era. Any other Christmas wishes for our, as we wrap up Christmas in the clouds? Just more indigenous content. You know, I'm just happy to see all these things happening, but I want to keep it going, especially since we, you know, lost Rutherford Falls and Res Dogs has gone to the dog pound or whatever it did. (laughs) And so we want to kind of hopefully have something else that pops in, series and films, and not just something that's just, you know, from the Eurocentric gaze, but indigenous focused stories. What about you, Matt? Do you have a Christmas witch? Witch? Christmas witch? Witch? Do you have a Christmas witch? No witches. Thinking about, well, Christmas in the clouds, there there are hints of greatness in the movie. It gets borderline meta. With, um, Graham Greene kind of pokes fun at Dances with Wolves. I really wish they would have embraced West Studi a little bit more as far as playing himself. I think it's really, it's always fascinating to see actors play versions of themselves. So I guess uh, my Christmas wish would be for filmmakers to kind of embrace that aspect of what I thought Christmas and why, why I thought Christmas in the clouds was so was so great. I had forgotten about that when um, Graham Greene was kind of riffing on Dances with Wolves. That was really funny. Oh yeah, yeah, and that just made me think. I don't know that they, they could have dove into that. Um, uh-huh. 
Yeah, it did seem kind of media savvy, the film. And it seemed like it was addressing those things. Like there's a scene with children looking at like the Three Stooges cartoon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, very much so, yeah. See, you remember this movie. What what is what is your wish? My Christmas wish is that they would continue to make great content featuring indigenous artists. I think that's, you know, what we all want is for this not to be a 20-year cycle. Every 20 years we're cool cycle. Is that this time it's sustainable? So that's my Christmas wish. And I would encourage everybody to go watch it. I mean, I was watching it while I was doing some Christmas baking. So I would definitely recommend turning it on and being entertained for a little bit while you're doing your favorite Christmas customs. I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. As is- The issues that I had with it were minuscule compared to the enjoyment that I got out of just those little things. And with that, we will wish everyone happy holidays. Thank you for spending the year with us. And we hope that you and yours have a wonderful holiday season. And remember, don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real. Indigenous. Indigenous. Post-episode fact. That movie was produced by the Stockbridge Muncie Community Band of Mohican Indians. Ho, ho, ho.